That is not dead, which can eternal lie, and with strange eons even death may die. Welcome to another episode of the newly dubbed Beyond the Veil series here on the Great Old Ones Gaming Podcast. In this series, we sit down and chat with writers, game designers, and other prominent members of the Cthulhu Mythos Gaming Circle. With you, as always, is me, Nate, lost in time and space, and I'm joined with my fellow co-hosts. I'm uh, Man from Lang, host of the Whisper in Darkness YouTube channel. And I'm Innkeeper Vase Odin, host of the Twisted Tentacle Inn. Our special guest for this episode is Irish game designer and novelist, uh, Gareth Ryder Hanrahan. Gareth has worked on countless RPGs, from titles such as Paranoia, RuneQuest, the 2008 Mongoose Traveler, Black Knight's Agents, Trail of Cthulhu, The Fall of Delta Green, and I'm probably forgetting some other ones too. Uh, Gareth, welcome to the show. Hello. How you doing? Not too bad. Appreciate you coming on to the show so late at night. Well, it's only like half seven, but there are multiple children right around the house, so I maybe hopefully won't be called away to <laughs> if they say any screaming or explosions, but it can't be ruled out. Well, uh, since we have you on the show here, Gareth, we wanted to ask you some questions about your work related to the Cthulhu Mythos games. Um, you recently had the Cthulhu, uh, sorry, the Cthulhu, uh, blah, 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 the Cthulhu, <laughs> Cthulhu City Special Edition recently released, and that has a very bleak, noir feel of it mixed with a healthy dose of H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. In your words, Gareth, can you drop us into Cthulhu City? Cthulhu City is an alternate, or quasi-alternate, or sort of parasitical setting for uh, the Trail of Cthulhu role-playing game. It's basically this a uh, vast metropolis uh, located in um, the northeastern United States, the city of Great Arkham, with districts like Dunwich and Innsmouth and Salamander Fields. It's basically a mashup of all Lovecraft cities from uh, Arkham and Kingsport all the way to, like, you know, Leng and Rillia. Um, it's You can use it basically as an alternate setting for the game or as this bizarre dream sequence, or your characters are abducted into the city, or it's a sort of parallel universe. And it's, yeah, it's this sort of weird urban fantasy uh, take on the mythos. And this product was religi- uh, originally released in 2016, am I correct, Gareth? I will take your word for it. Uh, <laughs> and... it, is, it, is, it is in the past. Yes. Uh, yeah, but and... it, it's been for a year or two, certainly. Yeah, and you've... And you're just now coming out with the special edition. Um, what was the, what was the um, what's the word I'm looking for? What's the what was the reasoning behind doing the special edition now? Um, I honestly suspect that there was a like the, the there was a opening to do a special edition that the printer said we have like you know nice covers. Do you want to do something with them? And Pelagian said yes, yes, we will. I don't think there's any sort of grand plan or like you know mystical congruency or symbology behind it. Just a sort of a nice thing to do every so often. I mean, the cover is gorgeous. That gold embossing on it—it's uh, so cool. I haven't seen it. Anyone that hasn't yet. checked that out, yeah, there, yeah. There, there will be an image of it on on the site. Yeah. Yeah, we've done some lovely like um, special edition stuff in the past. So I'm looking forward to this. It's the first, other than Dracula, it's the first one of my books that's gotten a special edition. 
Unless there was a special edition of Stone Thief, but I don't know. I should know these things, but I, I, I don't. Writers tend to exist in sort of like, you know, again, sort of lost in time and space effect, where like, you know, you, never quite, you, you know what you're currently working on, and you know what you have worked on in the past, and you know what's coming out in the future, but the relation, your relationship to all these things is very much more fluid than it should be. I mean, you're, you're just responsible for writing the material. You're not responsible for getting it on the page. I mean, it, exactly. You, yeah, they can only ask so much of you. But also, like, you're, you're aware of what you're currently working on, and you're not really sure what, like, you're aware of those books are in the pipeline or even if they actually come out. So, yeah, writers are really useful for like you know actual like you know questions of like you know where is the book. Gareth, what was the inspiration behind Cthulhu City? I know I'd, uh, I had a chance to kind of chat with you before our interview, but for the listeners at home that may not be aware, um, yeah, I know we had, you'd kind of chatted about how you wanted to like kind of mismatch all of the, the Cthulhu mythos into one grand city after writing an adventure about a dreaming city. Um, can, you, can you kind of go into more detail about your inspiration for writing Cthulhu City? Yeah, um, the original inspiration, as I said, was this like, one scene in an adventure, which I said, like, that's really haunting, I want to do more with that. Um, but really, in most Cthulhu adventures, you sort of, the players are almost forced to put their out-of-game knowledge aside. If you meet a, like, you know, a guy who smells a fish and has a name like Gilman, you're sort of obliged to go, well, you know, even though I, as a player... Though know, this is clearly a, uh, like, he's got the ends, but look, he's, like, so into the deep ones. Unless your character's already kind of the deep ones, you're sort of like, you know, you have to clear your character as being ignorant of these, sort of like, you know, mythos stigmata. Um, or, uh, as Keeper, you're sort of obliged, like, you know, to sort of carefully disguise what's really going on. You can't just go, you can't sort of drop unvarnished deep ones into an adventure and expect it to be a mystery to the players. So what I want to do was a setting where there was not, not necessarily less mystery about the mythos, but where knowledge of the mythos was a bit more foregrounded and the players could sort of like use their uh, awareness of the mythos in character more. Um, and yes, yeah, so a combination of that impetus plus the wanting to have a city of weird towers and Creepy business bits. Shane, you've also you're also dabbled in Delta Green and Fall of Delta Green as well, correct? Working with Pelgrane Publishing. Yeah, um, I'm. Um, Pelgrane does the Fall of Delta Green um, game, and I've done a small bit on that. I'm working on a campaign for it as well. Ooh, speaking of the Borellis connection, can you give us any more details about that campaign at this time? Um. The Brothers section is a uh, currently in progress campaign for the Fall of Dutch Green. Uh, you're playing agents of the Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs. It's set in the 1960s, and it basically follows the heroin trail across the world. So your first adventures are off in Vietnam and Laos and places, and then you follow the smuggling trail across the Pacific, and then it's on to the opium fields of Turkey and distribution all the way on to the French Connection and the Port of Marseille. And while you're officially investigating the drug trade for the Bureau, you ha- that's only your cover story. You're actually tracing various mythos cults across the world. And yeah, it's a like a 10 adventure, I think, campaign. It's like going to be 
massively huge once it's actually done. Ten adventures? Yeah. What? I think it is. It's, it's, it's an age of ten. It, it's long, anyway. <laughs> it's going to wow. be a big, chunky campaign. You go through several agents with that. <laughs> that sounds cool. Yeah, I was just getting into into Delta Green recently and uh, very interested in the fall of Delta Green. And when I heard about this Borellis connection, I I can't wait until it comes out and, and give it a shot with my group. But for those who may not be aware of the fall of Delta Green, uh, Gareth, can you kind of give us a quick synopsis of what the fall of Delta Green is versus actual Delta Green? Cool. Uh, the fall of Delta Green is, um, well, Delta Green in its original conception was a, a secret anti-mythos conspiracy within the US government. And in the original Delta Green, which came out in the 90s, you were basically uh, agents working for Delta Green on the side. Um, but previously, um, from Delta Green's foundation in the 20s, or sort of the 20s, up until in the 60s, it was an officially sanctioned operation. Um, and the Fall of Green is a sort of prequel to the Delta Green. It's set in the 1960s. You're officially working for the US government. You have like full backing and sanction. You, you, you have official clearances. And it leads up to the disastrous mission uh, in Vietnam, where Delta Green is shut down after messing things up horribly, basically. Um, so yeah, it is uh, a gumshoe-based engine of, a gumshoe-based game of spies versus the Mythos in the 1960s. So how did you uh, you get involved in writing for the Mythos? Um, many, 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 many years ago, I was involved in writing scenarios for games conventions, for local games uh, convention WarpCon. And I started doing Cthulhu for that, so I've run some variant of uh, Call, Trail, Laundry, whatever came to hand at that con for 20 years now every year. And basically, writing um, scenarios led into freelancing, and freelancing led into mythosy stuff. Um, I did small bits for uh, early Trail of Cthulhu stuff, and then I was running the Laundry Files for Cubicle 7 for a few years, and now I'm doing Fall stuff. So were you were you familiar with the mythos before you started doing this, or was it something that came after? Uh, my first encounter with the mythos was actually at that convention back in like nineteen ninety four. Um, I like started doing like playing D anD D and like Merp as a, as a kid. Had no idea what the mythos was. Uh, had never heard of it, and sat down and played a game called Cthulhu. And I remember we were all playing priests in the scenario. I don't know why we were playing six priests, but. Uh, um, we investigated the mythos. We all died horribly, real correctly. But I thought this is the best game ever. Um, got a copy of the, I think, fifth edition rulebook at that point, and ran Cthulhu for several years from like Cooper's Home and Ration Cons, and then started actually started reading the Lovecraft stories. So I came to Lovecraft and the mythos through the game, as opposed to discovering That's the fiction first. I had a kind of a similar coming into the mythos too where i started playing mythos inspired games and then read the fiction behind it afterward i think that's really interesting uh what are some of your favorite mythos stories gareth um 
I'm very, very fond of um, Dreams of the Witch House. Purely because it's the horror in that is... The, se- the sequence where he's wandering around and he feels drawn towards a particular star is... Jo- I just love that... Uh, the, the, those two paragraphs because it's such a description of an alien experience. Um, and so out of place. Nothing happens to poor Gilman, isn't it? In that... Um, there's no like you know monster leaping at him. He just feels a tugging towards a point in space. I, I felt that was really sort of haunting and eldritch. Um, I spent the last year deep in the guts of um, the case of Charles Dexter Ward for the Burroughs Connection because there's uh, some necromantic stuff in there, and I'm very fond of that one as well, mainly for the sheer depth of research and the. Because the complexity of that one, and I'm also held that, held that the Call of Cthulhu the story itself is like you know one of the best examples of an investigation and like putting clues together. Um, in in Lovecraft's um, works, and there's a there's a obvious reason it's the model for the game. What do you think makes a good mythos RPG in in your opinion? I was I I I have been been thinking about that question, and I'm not sure if I have a good answer. But I'm not sure. I think the myth at this point, the mythos is wide enough, and there are sufficient takes there that you're not going to get one good mythos RPG because you can have different goals. The mythos at this point is sort of broad enough and has been used in so many different ways that it's really more question of the game's execution of its goals as opposed to trying to incorporate the whole mythos. Um, like I think you could do a, a comedy mythos game at this point. You can do a sort of pulpy game. You can do one that are very focused on one particular... You can do ones that are focused on, on cosmic horror. You can do ones that are focused on more sort of personal stuff like Pitman's Model or something. Um, and in each case... You could do a good or a bad RPG with those goals in mind, but those goals aren't necessarily going to be compatible. Like you, know, you're obviously you know, if you're doing a comedy mythos game, I think you could do a good comedy mythos game at this point. A good version of that is not going to be suited for cosmic horror or whatever. Um, so my sort of like non-answer is it depends on the RPG. That's a fair answer. <laughs> what, what's your What's your favorite aspect of a mythos game? What What part of it do you really enjoy and makes you think, "Wow, this is this is a mythos game." Uh, my particular sort of fetish is investigation and sort of the piece together of disparate knowledge for that moment of revelation. Like I, I, I absolutely love handouts and like you know backstory and deduction. Like many, many years ago, I ran this uh, w- one shot, which was basically you're called in to read a will. Um, the GM hands the players a box of papers and walks away. And for the next basically two hours, the players were just going through this like giant box of handouts, <laughs> piecing the clues together, working uh, work out like, oh, like, you hang on. According to this like birth cert, I'm not who I thought I was. Uh, I'm like, you know, descended from this horrible monster. And I like, 
if that, literally for, for two hours of that scenario, I did nothing but sort of sit there and watch the players read, and they had a great time, and I had a great time. Um, that's great. That's great. That sounds like the the beginning of the Call of Cthulhu, where the guy just like ransacks his uncle's, you know, his uncle's belongings. Yeah, that's that was good. That's, that's hilarious. That was inspiration. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't think that would work for all players. I think to sort of loop back, that's not necessarily a good RPG or good business RPG in all cases. But it was exactly the sort of thing I wanted to do, and it, it worked in that case. So, in your uh, opinion, Gareth, what makes a bad Mythos RPG? Like, uh, if, we, if we can't perfectly define what makes a good RPG, as there's so many ways that you can go about it, what what do you defi- what do you think definitively makes a bad Mythos game, or what are what are some common mistakes that people make when trying to incorporate Mythos into their writing? I think using Lovecraftian shorthands as the thing itself. Like, I mean, the, 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 the cliche of a Mythos game is like, you know, ah, things with tentacles that drive me mad. And yeah, I mean, that is a quick way to describe a Mythos game and it's a quick way to sort of signify to the players that you're in a Lovecraftian game. But if that's the extent of the horror in the game, it's, it would be fairly flat. Like, you know, if your plot is there is an evil sorcerer and he's going to summon a tentacle thing and you've got to thwart him, that is all the trappings of a Mythos game. But there's no real horror, there's not a, not necessarily a huge amount of investigation, and there's nothing new or really haunting to it. Like, tentacles on their own aren't horrific. The reason Lovecraft had like tentacles and so forth is because he was like terrified of seafood. Um, a Mythos game that finds new cosmic horror in different places is much more effective than one that just sort of regurgitates um, Lovecraft's creatures and fears without sort of stopping to think why he was scared of them or, or what makes those things really, really terrifying. Yeah, you know, I, I think I agree with you. I I read somewhere that with mythos, the, the mythos aspect should be the backdrop. And, you know, the, the real horror is the humanity and the, the how humans relate to it or deal with it or the realization that they have when they encounter it. It's... It's really an interesting concept for sure. Um, so speaking of mythos and combining mythos with with other things, um, you are or you just put out a, a book, the Gutter Prayer, and there is some mythos in there, but it's a it's a combination of fantasy and mythos and a little bit of comedy and a little bit of horror. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about that? The Gutter Prayer is a fantasy novel. Um, it's not quite mythos. Um, it's influenced by the mythos, certainly, and there are ghouls in there which are pretty much lifted straight out of Lovecraft, but it's set in a, sort of a, like a second, made up secondary world fantasy and it's full of like, swords and sorcery and alchemical monsters and so forth. Um, the influence of mythos there, apart from the ghouls and the ancient city, was really try to convey how strange it would be to live in a world with actual gods, with like, you know, interventionist powers and how sort of soul crushingly terrifying that would be to have these invisible entities reaching into you, like reaching inside your mind and soul and doing things to you. Um 
so yeah, th that's where the Lovecraftian influence on that came. Yeah, it's a it's a very urban, from my understanding, um, it's pretty much set in a city, kind of like Cthulhu City. Like it all takes place within the city. Um, is there a, a specific uh, fascination with urban adventure for you, or is there something more that you were interested in developing or discovering with that? Um, I think the two sort of real common factors there are number one. I really like this, how, how, how constrained the urban environment is. Like, if your monsters are distant and far and far away, and you've got to travel for ages to get to them, then the journey almost becomes the story. Whereas in a urban environment, the bad guys are right there. Like everyone's in a very sort of everyone's sharing space. You can have sort of random encounters. You can have um, much more um interconnections between characters because they're all sharing a space and time and the other thing I have, I, i've always had this fascination with underground spaces in cities and like abandoned architecture and abandoned like, factories and so forth um i've never done, done any urban exploration but i like, <laughs> i've only looked at photos and videos that sort of stuff and in both Cthulhu City and the Gutter Prayer, a lot of the action takes place under the city in these like you know, abandoned spooky tunnels and sewers and subways. I just find those spaces sort of haunting. The idea of like you know that there's places under your feet unseen that can be filled with the rotten decay of past centuries. Yeah, and there's a. I I definitely felt the ghoul aspect was influenced by Lovecraftian stuff and the mythos. <laughs> One of the characters is a ghoul. Um, can you, can you, uh, for those who are not familiar with the gutter prayer, and sorry to uh, to jump in with this real quick, but uh, gutter prayer, it's like receiving praise everywhere. It's one of the best fantasy books uh, released this year. So props to you for coming out with something very unique and very awesome. Uh, can you explain to the audience that hasn't heard of the book what the gutter prayer, just kind of the basic synopsis of the story? Yeah, sure. Um, it's a fantasy novel set in the city called Guerdon. Um, the protagonists are these three Thebes, um, one of which, as I said, is a ghoul, and there's like you know, lots of happy chapters describing uh, the eating of corpse flesh and so forth. Um, there's also uh, Spar, who's a stone man. He's got this um, disease which is slowly turning his flesh into stones whenever he gets injured or um, that instead of scabbing, it sort of uh, petrifies. Uh, it's kept at bay with the, this alchemical um, curative that he has injected to himself regularly. And then the main character is Carolyn, who's this thief. At the start of the book, they're sent to uh, basically do a heist. It all goes horribly wrong. Uh, things explode. And Carolyn discovers that, mild spoilers here, that the city's bells are suddenly talking to her and passing on information and letting her see the city from a, from a sort of like divine perspective. And you had me at explosion. <laughs> yeah, there, there, you there, had there, me at heist. <laughs> there are plenty of explosions, plenty of heists, um, but also terrifying alien gods and alchemical wars and uh, the Talaman, which are the, sort of the city's sort of, um, secret police force 
who are basically humans who have been converted through this chemical process into effectively living candles. And they're the sort of the spooky, spooky cops who are chasing the thieves. And they're basically like you know, human-sized candles with wicks burning inside their heads. And um, yeah, they're kind of horrible to be honest. <laughs> so do you think there's any danger of the, of the mythos being, I guess, overdone? Because I know I recently started playing the, uh, the Sinking City, which is a, a video game, sort of Lovecraftian video game. And I think one of the complaints I saw about it in the reviews that was that it's yet another uh, attempt to uh, to use the mythos, uh, perhaps not in the best way. Is 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 that a concern for you as a as a writer who who works in that setting? Yeah, it's weird. I mean, I, I think it's it, it's possible to get a bit lazy and go go. I I myself have sort of fallen into the trap of just sort of going, going like, oh, ah, tentacles, old books. There, that's enough. Um, and you, you also when doing a licensed game or writing in someone else's world, you do sort of hit the tropes and like you know, so like you know, make it feel like a continuation of past work. So you can't create something um, wholly original and say it's part of the mythos. It has to be like sort of a link back. So I think you have to find a balance between building on Lovecraft's tropes and settings and also finding new horrors was just reusing his ones. Um, another time that, that basically involves taking what disturbs and terrifies you and filtering it through a sort of Lovecraftian lens or um, like in, inverting Lovecraft stuff and then mixing your own horrors into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, one of the things I noticed about the this game was that it's just drenched in tentacles. <laughs> There's so many tentacles everywhere, to the point where it's sort of like, yeah, like you've you've splashed a lot of tentacles around, but there's the the actual horror part is is somewhat muted. Yeah, I mean, like, like you know, if if tentacles scare you, that's fine. But if, like, you know, if your real fear is of, say, being watched, if you're like, if you want to get sort of paranoid vibe across, but you want it to be a mythos game, they could do something where, like, you know, the tentacles, <laughs> the tentacles of ears, basically, where, like, you know, you're going through a building, and you uh, hear this sort of squishy sound, and you pull away one of the boards on the wall, and there's like some massive tentacles behind it, and they're vibrating with the sound of your voice. Clearly, they're picking up on the vibrations and transmitting it to some like you know, malign intelligence deep underground. That gives you sort of like a Lovecraftian vibe, but has a new horror element on a sort of surveillance horror element built into it. I think you need to sort of like you know, bring new horrors in and build on what's gone before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. What's your take on using Lovecraft and the mythos for comedic purposes? I've noticed a trend lately, like in the, I go to the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival every year here in Portland, and there's been a trend where a lot more movies are are being released with just kind of a comedic twist to the mythos. Do you think that has a place within the mythos? Do you think it's an insult to the mythos, or do you think it's a, it's a, it's a good aspect of it? Um... I think, like, at this point, Cthulhu is big and mean enough to survive a bit of comedy. Um, 
I don't think comedy and horror definitely aren't incompatible. Like, I mean, I was in the Laundry Files, or particularly Chemical Seven, which is based off Charlie Strauss's novels, and they're basically like you know were originally pitched as Dilbert versus Cthulhu, and you can sort of tap dance between humor and horror um, quite easily because in certainly in role playing games, the players will be taking the piss out of the monsters and like you know making jokes. And if you try and stamp on that, stamp down on that, you can sort of ruin the mood of the game. What you want to do is basically let them make the jokes and then still take the horror seriously. Um, when it comes to sort of like doing like over comedy, sort of some parts, you, you, there you, sort of, you can sort of like fall back and take the Lovecraftian tropes and play them for laughs. I mean, uh, and there, I mean, so, as, we, as I've said, I think some of the crushing tropes are a bit worked out if if, play, if played straight. Like the, again, we're we're back to tentacles, but um, there's still humor in them. And I mean, remember Lovecraft came up with a lot of his monsters because he felt that like you know vampires and werewolves were worked out and like had become figures of fun as opposed to shocking horrors. And I think familiarity is going to breed sort of contempt with these things. That's a really good point that you bring about. Um, other mythos creatures, well, you know, folk folklore creatures. Um, Gareth, what's I guess what's your opinion on other horror aside from cosmic horror? Do you do you find yourself using other horror aspects in your mythos writing, or do you tend to kind of keep those tropes to the side when considering putting those into your games? Um, I think that because most of my writing is tabletop games. I personally feel that, uh, that a lot of other horror tropes aren't really suitable for for tabletop play just because of the nature of the medium. Like jump scares or a lot of sort of gory, gory stuff um, or anything sort of like, you know, sort of sexual. Unfortunately, due to an unknown server issue, Garrus' audio from this point is lost, so I'm afraid I'll have to cut the interview short. If you're interested in checking out Cthulhu City, Gutter Prayer, or any of other of Garrus' work, links will be provided in the show notes of this episode. And you can follow Gareth on Twitter with the handle, at MythHolder. This has been an episode of Beyond the Veil with our special guest, Gareth Hanrahan Ryder. Uh, sorry, I mixed that up. That's Ryder Hanrahan. Apologies, Gareth. Um... <laughs> I'm Nate, lost in time and space, joined as always with my two co-hosts. I'm Man from Ling, host of the Whisper and Darkness YouTube channel. And I'm Innkeeper Vase Odin from the Twisted Tentacle Inn. We want to thank you guys so much for listening and have a great rest of your day.